Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Uh, I've been praying about, okay, I I want our church to be known. We're four years old, right? Going on year five soon. So we're still kind of like a little baby in some ways. But that, that should not negate the fact that we, we need to grow and mature, right? We need to mature in his word. We need to grow in his word. And so a lot of times I'm convicted and I ask myself, if someone's been here for four years, what have they learned? And like, yes, it's about for the one and yes, it's about community. That's mission. That's, that's a part of the, the, the call of Jesus and the great commission. But it's also to become disciples of Jesus and to learn and to grow and mature. And so over the next course of really five, six weeks, we're going to dive into a book of the Bible, and this book is going to be 1 John, 1 John. And so again, we're, we're going back to uh, the classroom. We're going to do some, some work on this, and, and uh, I would encourage you to, um, to read this book. I mean, literally, you can read it. A book of the Bible was actually, especially a letter, was designed to be read in one sitting. And uh, I, I mean, there's like five chapters in this book. It's like there's no excuse. You can, you can read this every day. <laughs> but I want to I wanna hit on and, and just kind of open up the, the idea and the context, and, and I'm going to hit a little bit on the literary analysis, meaning just the words and the Greek, and we're going to geek out for a second, but there's something powerful about this book, and I want, I want us to learn and, and to grow. So we're going to read, uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen, First John chapter one, and this is how dense this chapter is. As I was doing study, I'm like, oh my gosh, I couldn't get past verse four. So uh, John one through four says this, first John chapter one, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim. Again, the church proclaims. We, as, as the body of Christ, proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we've seen it, and we've testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship, koinonia, coin, with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. So we write this to make our joy complete. So if, if we have a title for today's conversation, it, it would be Life and Love. And if it was a, there was a subpoint and we went a little bit more deeper in that, it would be eternal life and everlasting love. Now, I want to just kind of go over the author, right? So many scholars, many theologians, there's debate on who the actual author is. But I would say the majority of scholars and theologians and, 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 and sort of voices into the academic work and, and, and analyzing this and the historians they, they do justice. We don't need to kind of do that. But they, they would argue, for the most part, that John, the Apostle John, the one that walked with Jesus for three years, he wrote this book. And there's many reasons why. There's an authoritative undertone. Uh, even when you look at the Gospel of John, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the very beginning of the chapter, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and then the word became flesh. And it, it sounds very similar, doesn't it? That this, this John would open like this. But just to do just a brief context on this, you see, John, he became a pastor in Ephesus. We just read the book of Ephesians a couple of weeks ago, right? Two, two or so months ago. So John is now a pastor. There were many pastors. Timothy was also a pastor. But this is a massive region, modern-day Turkey, okay? So John did not specify the recipients of this letter, meaning who this letter was going out to, but giving his addresses in Revelation 2 to 3, because John the Apostle wrote the book of Revelation he wrote the book of Revelation in two to three to seven churches in the immediate vicinity of Ephesus. So many would argue and agree then that as we read this, this letter, it was not just to one church, it was to many churches. He's sort of like a bishop. He's, he's proclaiming something. He's sharing something to the church at large. And he did this in his later years of life. I'm sure, you know, when I talk to uh, those that, uh, that have the gray hair of wisdom, I realize that they don't really, in a healthy way, if, if they've been a disciple of Jesus, they don't really care what people think about them. They just care what Jesus says about them, and they do what is needed to be done, and they don't really take on a lot. They're just like, hey, this is what's important. You got to know this, and, and every decision they make should be out of love, right? That's my goal as a follower of Jesus, by the way, that when I'm in my 70s and 80s, if I get it to that point... I want people to know me and say, you know, there's something about Sammy, and when I talk to him, and he's, he's old, and he's got white hairs coming out of his nose that he needs to trim sometimes in his hair, but man, he just loves me. That guy is just, gosh, he's just got so much love on him. That's what I want people to know about me. So John, he writes all about, all through this letter, guess what he writes about? Love. In his, in, his el, in his elder years, in his older age, he is compelled to express this love. But by the way, he writes it with conviction, a compelling conviction. And he's expressing his heart as a pastor to these churches. Now, let's go through verse 1, okay? You guys ready? You good? We'll try to do this in an honoring manner, but there's just like so much to digest right here. The scripture says, that which was from the beginning. Now, what on earth is John saying here? He says, that, was, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. So you have to remember the, the understanding of the context. The, John is, is, is a Jew. He is a follower of Yahweh. In the Old Testament, they had rule, they had law, they had regulation. And then this Jesus comes on the scene and sort of, completes the law. He doesn't demolish it. He doesn't get rid of it, but he, he completes it. He makes it whole. And they have been walking with this Jesus. And so he says that which was from the beginning, meaning we've always thought and conceptualized about this God. And at times he's felt so far away and he's so out there and he's just like, man, like, how do I really know that he's there? And how do I really know what he's saying is true? And, and how do I experience this God? And then he says, which we have seen with our eyes. That is Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel, that's what that means, that God is with us. And I've said this before. This doesn't come from my own quote. I actually heard it from a pastor named Erwin McManus. He said that all the other religions, hundreds of religions out there, and by the way, in our day and age, uh, ideologies, 
in different new way thinking where we kind of couple Christianity and other thought and crystal, you know, horoscopes and all that. Like that, that's all like ideologies and religions and we kind of put them all together and say it's Christianity, but it's not. And so what, what we're, we have to understand is that when we look at this, when we experience this, it says that he touched us and we saw him. And so Erwin says, the pastor Erwin Manis, he says, there's so many different religions out there and, and all of those religions with, with Allah and, and with Buddha and with like the chakra stuff, like all of that stuff is like, how do I, what do I need to do to get to him or to whatever is out there in, in the universe? What do I have to do to go there and get there and appease whatever, whatever's that there so that I can be better, I can grow? And yet Christianity Jesus is the only religion on the face of the earth where God came to us. And that's what changes everything, by the way. And if I could say this, I'm kind of jumping ahead because there's just so much stuff. If you could see my notes, I was just like, ah. But like, John says, we've heard about him. We've, we've read about him. And, and, and as, as a little Jewish boy, you have to like learn the entire five books of the, 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 the Torah. You have to memorize it. And then when you kind of graduate and you're like celebrated, it's because you've done the work and you've memorized so many scriptures. So like I've heard about it, I've conceptualized about it, but now I've actually seen what we've thought about and I touched him. That God that was out there, he came here and he was with us, John says. And so if this is true, by the way, if this is true, then that's terrifying. Like, if there is a God, which I would argue there is, and he's real, and he's not only cosmic and mass and powerfully beautiful and wonderful, but he's also come here at a certain place, Jesus of Nazareth, at a certain time, within the first century, in a certain empire, the Roman Empire, with real people and interactions, and it was written for all of us. If that is true, that this Jesus claimed to be God, you know what Jesus said? The only way to, to heaven, the only way to eternal life is through me. The only way to get to God is through me. And I'm here, I'm, I'm, in, I'm flesh and bone. You can touch me, you can see me, you can talk to me. And the reason why that's terrifying, because if that's true, then we got work to do. Because that Jesus, that God, who came in flesh and bones, the scripture says, John says this in his book, fully human and fully God, if that is true, then we better listen to everything this man has to say and do everything he told us to do. Which, by the way, he was beautiful with because Jesus wasn't a person to kind of throw his ideas on you or, or his, his call on you. He didn't say, you have to, Sabbath. What are you doing? Why aren't you resting? No, he invited us. It's an invitation because that's what love does. Love invites us to experience and encounter. It's not forced on us, right? And then it says, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. And then this is where it gets really, really meaty, Okay. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, I had to geek out for a minute because what does that mean when he says the word of life? What are you saying, John? We have to remember that this was written in Greek, okay? We're speaking in English. 
I wish I could speak Spanish, so I don't know how to translate that. But there's some translations that have taken place over the, the course of when it was originally said in Greek from John as he penned this, and then to us here in America in English. So to do due diligence to the biblical text, which, by the way, we are really, really big on. I mean, I, I like this, this, this book. We have to know what this Bible says. We have to know the words in this book. You have to digest it and learn it and understand it, or else we can really be deceived. And that's terrifying as well, because I don't want to be deceived thinking I was really following Jesus, but I wasn't. So the first is word, okay? Now, the word here is pretty dense. It means logos, okay? Logos, which is an embodying idea, a statement, a speech. The definition of this is, watch this, the usage is a word, a speech, or a divine utterance, an analogy. So let me break this down to you. Logos, when you look at it for what it is, Logos was known of in the Greek culture. They talked about it. It's like every, it's out there. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And it's hard to kind of conceptualize it and touch it. But it's, it's an idea. It's a speech. It's something in here. And the reason why this is so powerful and the reason what John is trying to do is he's trying to say that the scripture says, in the beginning was the word Logos. In the beginning, God, before he created you and I, we don't know when that was, but he has always been and he will always be, Right? It's like, wrap your head around that. Good luck with that. He's always been. He's always been. It's a mystery. Okay, but at what point in the history of, like, God did he create us? How long was it? Was there something before? I have no idea, but he created us. But how did he create us? With a thought, an idea that was birthed out of love. And so when you sit down, which, by the way, the culture does not want you to do, and you have your own thought and your own process. That's why meditation came from Jesus. It came from the religious. It came from this right here when you sit. And the more busier Jesus got, the more he would go and meditate and be in silence with God. Why? Because he was participating with the divine, with the logos, with the idea and thought. And you know what he did when God thought of us? He spoke us into being. Speech. And the enemy doesn't want you to sit down and be with yourself, by the way. Because what happens? You begin to get vision. You begin to get thought. You begin to get idea. You can take my money, right? The government can take my money. The government can take my rights. The government can take whatever they need to take. But the moment you take my mind, yeah, you have all of me. Because my mind participates with the divine, the logos. Does that make sense? Really deep stuff here. So in the beginning was the word, the logos. And then that word became life in speech as God spoke life in you and I into being. And then it goes on to say, he's the word, the logos of life. Now what does life mean? I'm glad you asked. I love this word right now. Because I named my daughter, Kelly and I named our daughter out of this, this idea, Zoe, Zoe, right? That word, word of life, is Zoe. So Zoe means life. Zoe means life, both physical, present, and of spiritual, particularly of the future, existence. Which, by the way, so it's physical and it's spiritual, life. We could all agree to that, isn't it? 
The life we live in, it's both spiritual and it's physical. You can't take both without the other. It's just how we were created. We're physical, spiritual beings. All of life throughout the universe, and always watch this, only comes from and is sustained by God's self-existent life. So Zoe only comes from God's sustaining life. The way that you exist today, I would argue, John would argue, the scriptures would argue, you are here today because of one, the logos of God, the, the unique divine nature of God that he thought you, he spoke you into being. And as you were being spoken and as we were created and as we now have thought, because we're created in his image, now what happens is we begin to participate in the life that he created. And it can only come from God, man. I don't know what else it comes from. Good luck with that, thinking through. Like, what's the meaning of life? What's the point of life? What's the aspiration? What's the goal of life? So the word of life became known to us. You see that? So let's read it again with that mindset. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard about, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the logos of life. The life appeared. The existent nature of the divine appeared to you and I. That, that's both terrifying and amazing at the same time. Like God came here to be with us, Emmanuel. So God thought of you and I and he created us and he gave us life, right? So then here's the next verse. The scripture says, the life appeared and we have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So what is John saying here? Jesus, John is saying one of probably the most bold statements that I will ever say out of my mouth. John is saying Jesus is eternal life. Can you say that? Because that's a bold statement. Do you know saying that in other countries will have your head cut off? Do you know in the Roman Empire, when he says to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, they were, trying, they were saying, you have to deny that the emperor is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. Can you do that, Romans? Because the Lord isn't the emperor. The Lord is Jesus. So this stuff will get you killed because it's a really bold statement. It, it opposes all other religions, all other facets of ideas and ideologies and, and learnings and growing. It's like Jesus is the only way to eternal life. That's terrifying, right? This is the key. If you want to know that you have eternal life, John is saying, you have to know Jesus. My question to you is, do you know you have eternal life? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you, when you die, because you will, I'm sorry to say, do you know that you will be in eternity with Jesus? Do you know that? Is that something that's like deeply ingrained in you? Because when you know that, man, your life is different. And it's not an obligation of law, it's an obligation of love. Like, man, I just had an uncle, my, my, my mom's sister's brother, who I've known ever since I was a little boy, and and he went to Bible school, he went to seminary, and, and, and he had a, a handicap issue. It's just hard for him to get around. I think when he was younger, he, 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 he kind of paralyzed a part of his body. And so all his life, I've always just seen him with like a cane and, 
and sort of distraught, you know? It was hard for him. All my life I've seen that. And he just passed away yesterday or today, and, and my mom sent a text to the, our, us brothers, and I loved our response, all of us. Why? Because we know he's in a better place, Mom. He's with Jesus. And I responded, I know for a fact that he has a new body, very different, and he's in a way better place. But you have to know that Jesus is Lord to have that audacious claim, don't you? And I'll just be really honest. It's really hard for me when I go to a funeral. I have no idea what the person has thought of, processed, how they prayed, their life that they lived. But a lot of times I'm like, do they know Jesus? It's like, oh, not really. It's hard for me because that's the hope of glory. There's more to life than just here. If you've seen like Francis Chan's story, he has like this massive rope. It goes across the entire stage. And I can't, I can't do that because everyone will know Francis Chan came up with that. But he like has this really long rope and at the very end of the rope, it's like this like small little line and he's like, that's life and this is eternity. <laughs> and so it's like, what are you gonna do about it? How do, you, how do you process that? And I don't know about you, but the only one who claimed eternal life was Jesus. I, I can't follow another religion that says, you, you know that you, you can become like God and have your own planet? You know that there's religions like that that say that? I just be honest, there's religions I'm not going to, like Mormonism, for example. They're amazing people. I love them. Like sometimes more holy and righteous than like us. I'm like, man, you guys are just good. Jeez. I'm being dead serious, though. Like, they represent Jesus better than we do sometimes. And yet when I talk to them, they say there was a man named Joseph Smith. And he added a, a verse in Genesis at the very end, and I'm like, you can't do that. You've already missed it. You can't do that. I don't want to know anything about whatever you have to say because you can't add things to this or take things out. And so it's like, okay, well, what do we do with this? This is, this is some heavy stuff, right? John is saying Jesus is eternal life. So watch this. The concept of eternal life cannot be without Jesus. Eternal life and Jesus are interconnected. Jesus said in him, John said, in him was life, was Zoe, the existence of life. In Jesus was this powerful, beautiful, cosmic, eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said that they may know you, God, and know Jesus and know me. Father, I just, I want them to know that, like, when they know you, they know me. And when they know me, they know you. And that's, that's what eternal life is. Again, this is a bold claim. Jesus is then the revelation of God. To know God is to know Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of God in the beginning, right? From the beginning, from the, the, the very fabric of time, he was there. And I, I don't know about you, but I have to do that in my head then. So I'm like, all right, I got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? And it's like, okay, well, how do you even put that in your mind? So good luck with that. But I do. I try to. And I'm like, okay, I know Jesus because I've seen him. But the scripture says that God created the earth, the heavens and the earth in Genesis. So God was there. The scripture says that the spirit of the living God hovered across the waters of the chaos, okay? God brings order in chaos, Okay, so the spirit of God is there, and then I just see, I see in my mind, however I conceptualize, I see God there, and I see Jesus there, and now I see the spirit. 
And God speaks this logos from his mind, his thought in the Trinity, and they speak us, humanity, into being out of love. But Jesus is there. In the beginning, he's there. And we all have a choice, don't we? And then you look at Adam and Eve, and you look at the garden, and it's like, oh, man, like, I was just talking to a group of guys this week about the power of choice, that we can't, we can't impart anything on another person. We have to know they have freedom and free will to make the decisions they want to make. You can't control people's actions and attitudes, right? You can't do that because you have a choice to make. And, and God, in his wonder and beauty, knew enough because he's all-knowing that he had to give us a choice in the garden. He had to, or else it wouldn't have been love. But when he did that, he already knew Jesus was there. Hey, son, uh, you're gonna, we already know this. We've already been there. We're like linear. We're beyond time. But you're going to have to give everything of you so that our creation, humanity, the image of God that's born here can, can be redeemed and be loved so today, <laughs> there are many people, sorry, in the first century that were professing Christians who had a small, distorted, deceived view of Jesus. Many. That's why, one of the reasons why John writes this. Because he's writing to Ephesus and the churches at large. And if you read 1 Timothy, which good luck with that, it's terrifying because Paul says to Timothy, you have to refute all of these unhealthy and unbiblical doctrine that's around you. You've got to refute it, Timothy. That is not the truth. It's not Jesus and something else that gets you to heaven. It's not agnosticism, which is the idea of all-knowing, right? Like somehow you can know God more than me and your knowledge and intellect. But then Gnosticism, I'm sorry, Gnosticism is all-knowing. Agnosticism is not like I have no idea. There's something out there, but I just don't know. But that was kind of where they were at. And so John's writing to this church in Ephesians, and he says, there's a lot of professing Christians out there, but you have small, distorted, deceived view of Jesus. And as a result, they had a small, distorted, deceived view of what it meant to follow him. That was then. What about today in the 21st century? I'm just going to be really honest, and I'm speaking about myself here too, so I'm with you in this. Today in the 21st century, many people, even professing Christians, have a small, distorted view of Jesus, right? Right? And then as a result, unfortunately, they don't, we don't know what it really means to follow him then. And then that's, that's a problem. That's a really big problem. So this is my fear. Now in the world and in California and Hollywood and just like where we're at today, even in our church, that we profess Jesus with our mouth, but we don't really know him intimately in here. But... We're unwilling to follow him as God, as, as Lord over every detail of our life, as, as in our family and, and, and how we do our, our money and our finances and how we think about the future and how we process things. If we had a healthy, crystal clear view of this logos that came here to earth, that walked amongst us, then I better follow this rabbi and do whatever he says. But oftentimes, it's like the complete opposite in our culture. We can no longer depend on our own feelings and our own thoughts. So if this claim is true, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, if this is true, we must follow this man and do what he said then. Right? So here it is. Eternal life hinges on this. You want to know what eternal life hinges on? Bowing your knee to him. 
That's, that's what it really is. It's bowing your knee and, and submitting your life to him and saying, man, this is not my life, this is yours. I give everything to you because you are the very eternal being and I want that and I need that and I need to become more like you, Jesus. In order to truly embrace love and feel love, watch this, we have to experience and encounter love. Okay, remember we talked about life and we talked about love. You can tell your spouse all day, you love them. I love you, honey. Man, honey, I love you so much. You can tell them that all day until you actually show it, right? And it's like, that's way different. Way, way, way different. You can be told that you're loved all day, in fact. You're loved. I love you. Jesus loves you. You're loved. Hey, man, you need to know you're loved. But until you actually encounter and experience this love, then it's not love. Or it's at least distorted or manufactured. You see, true love is made known. I don't see that in the first four verses. Do you see the word love at all? I don't. I don't see it at all, but it's there. Why? Because God came here to us because he loved us that much, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life because he so loved us. He came to us to shift things so we would have a better future, so we would have eternal life with him. So true love is made known. It's not just words. Now, we must know Jesus offers everlasting love, right? Love, in order to see it, it must be made known. So, so here, here are my just, here's one of my prayers. I'm almost done here. Worship, you guys can come on up. Here, here's, here's my first prayer to you as we start reading this book. I want you to know as a pastor, as a shepherd in your life, I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life today. You have to know that, man. It's like, that's really important. It's like, it's like, borderline introduction to following Jesus. You have to know that if you profess and you believe and you know and you're transformed in the fruit of this, that you will have eternal life. 1 John 5.13, you know I know he says in this book? He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why he's writing to us, by the way, so that you would know you have eternal life. And then near the end of the Gospel of John, he says again in John 20, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John uses the theme of eternal life 10 different times in this book. Then he uses the words knowing and perceiving almost 50 times. John wanted them and you and I to know that they had life in Jesus. So again, that's my first prayer. I want you to know you got eternal life. You, you need to know that. It's important. But also, in, in like the time that we have, you need to know that you can be deceived about this, though. You got to know this, man. I, I wouldn't be a pastor if I just didn't tell you the honest truth. You could really be deceived. It's possible that we can say we're Christians, but we may not be. Maddie said this. I love this. She said, are you a fan or are you a follower? Two different things. So John tells us what it means. You see, you can be sure about eternal life, and I want you to know that you have this. And then my next prayer is that I want you to experience God's everlasting love. Now, as we finish and as we close, have you ever seen pictures of, like, the Grand Canyon when you're a little boy or a little girl, right? It's like, man, 
powerful, it's beautiful, it's amazing. I've heard this analogy, but I, ha- I had to say it because it's just so good. It's like so amazing and it's out there and it's cosmic and it's amazing, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. It's like, whoa, how did this happen? And you see it and you read it and you see it in like our history books and elementary school and you're learning about it and it's, it's not until you actually go there and you're standing at the Grand Canyon and you see and you're like, man, that, that did such an injustice to this. This is crazy, beautiful and wonderful and majestic and like, you're just like, ah. Oh. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That fear can be translated, ah, oh, like, whoa. And then it sort of compels you to this idea of love. Now, I know there's contribution, like controversy around tattoos and stuff, but I got a tattoo and I was... <laughs> couple years ago and I thought about this for so long and the reason why I, I, I love 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 the idea of the ocean okay so here's the logos and then here's the zoe in my life every time I've had a thought I'm like this did not come from me there's no way there's no way it's too big it's too visionary it's too massive a decision a shift something and I'm like where did this come from but I've been raised in the church all my life I've been raised in the word I've been raised in the scripture so I know there's something in me the spirit of God compelling me so you know, you want to know where I go when that happens every single time I could show you all throughout the small little course of Sammy's history I've gone to the beach and the reason why I go to the beach, I've, I, as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm able to actually explain why. I didn't know what was drawing me there. But when I go to the beach and it's cool of night and it's dark and it's like two in the morning, I'm seeing the ocean and its roar and its thunder and it's vast and it's dark and it's unknown and it's so big. And I've realized that the reason I'm so drawn to it is because it's infinite. I see the ocean and I'm like, man, there's something big out there. I'm so small compared to this. And then if you study the scriptures where, where Job is arguing with God about the brokenness of his life, and it's kind of broken, it's true, but he says, man, God, like, where are you? Like, what are you doing? I, like, I need to know. And God says, hey, Job, I want to take you to the ocean. Were you there when I told the waters, the roaring waters, this far and no further to stop right here? Were you there, Job? Do you know my sovereignty? Do you know my plan? Do you know my will? And I'm just like there at the ocean and I'm like, gosh, the Lord God said, he said to stop right here. It's the same way when you look at the sun as it sets and it's beautiful and it's majestic and it's amazing. There is this infinite awe that pulls you in. And those that don't know Jesus, I'm sorry to say, it's like so cool and it's amazing you take pictures, but I actually know the God who created that. That's what love is, man. I'm like, dude, Guys, like, you got to know this stuff. Do you, have you experienced this love? Because if you haven't, don't call that Christianity. You have to experience this tangible presence that he will pick you up from the dust and the brokenness and he'll give you a new life and he'll set you on the right course. And the more that you abide in him and you and him and the more that you become fulfilled and there's this joy that's complete in you. And so I look at the infinite ocean and I see because I have this logos and this logos didn't come from me. It came from the divine utterance of God. So I can think because God thinks and I'm participating with him and I'm looking and I'm like, God, you're so good. Man, you're so beautiful. God, I love you. Whatever you need, it's yours. Anything you want from me, God, you can have it. But I've experienced this everlasting love because I was a sinner and I still am a sinner, but I'm set free from that broken bondage. And you can too. 
So don't live your life in bondage or chaos or brokenness. Stop settling for that stuff. You have a God that came here to be with you. And he didn't just come so that you would feel good. He came to tell you, you got to listen to this stuff. You got to listen to my spirit. You got to be led by me. Stop doing that. Start focusing on this. Aim high, as high as you possibly can. Because I love you and I'm with you. So I'll end with this. The last, the last verse, we're done. Dr. Felix, we're done. We're done. Here's the last verse. We write this, John says, we write this to make our joy complete. That's what he says to the churches. Why is he saying that? To make our joy complete? Have you ever, have you ever talked to someone and seen them give their life, for the first, their life to Jesus for the first time? Have you ever done that? Oh, my gosh. I don't know if this guy actually gave his life to Jesus, but I remember I was in sixth grade. Because I would hear Greg Laurie and Raul Reese. I'm like, I'm going to go tell people about Jesus in my school. And I went to my friend Juan, and I said, Juan, hey, man, I knew, I knew like John 3.16, and I read it to him. I said, Juan, you know, you know the, the heaven is going to be amazing, and there's no more brokenness and sin. And I, I remember thinking this, my small six-year-old mind, I said, you know when you fall on your skateboard and you're all scraped up in heaven? It doesn't hurt, man. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you can have that. And then I, I prayed with him the sinner's prayer that Raul Reese would pray every single week. And I just got this joy. I'm like, whoa, I like that. Where did that come from? It came from the divine infinite. Why? Because I participated with the eternal being that is within me. And I was able to see and hear someone express, at least in mind and thought, I want this Jesus. So Jesus made the way for everlasting joy and that combustion with our being that keeps us going. Why? That's what joy is. So, so as we finish, here's my evangelistic moment to you, Coin Church. Pray for the lost. You got to pray for your family members that don't know Jesus because you don't want to say, man, I could have, would have, should have told them about Jesus. And maybe they've already heard. Now you have to live it out. Live it out for them. So right now, if you stand with me, I actually want to just, I'm just going to end on this. I want to pray for our family and our friends that don't know this joy and this love and this everlasting peace. If you have someone in mind and you could just think about them and see them and have an idea of them, I want to pray. I want you to know that if your uncle, when your uncle dies like mine did, I know, man, he's, he's, he's in heaven right now with Jesus. I'm sure of that. You can't take that from me. I know that I believe that, but I want you to experience that in your life, and I want our community to experience that. Man, we are for the one. That's our mission.